Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. Episode 40 features part one of Oscar's conversation with former Kentucky Wildcat Terry Mobley. Terry Mobley came to the University of Kentucky via Rose Hill in Mercer County, and also by the way of another Wildcat legend who served as Terry's high school coach, Aggie Sale. We'll hear about Terry's younger days and how he ended up becoming a Kentucky Wildcat. Terry Mobley played for the Wildcats from 1961 to 1965 as he gained a reputation for being a clutch player. That title came true in the 1963 Sugar Bowl tournament in New Orleans against Duke in which Terry well, we'll let him tell you that story. And the reason Cotton Nash wasn't going to play in that game? That's another Terry story. And what was the stratified transitional hyperbolic paraboloid that was used by Coach Rupp? There's an easier name for it, and Terry explains. There's some great stories that Terry Mobley tells, including some stories from traveling in the SEC, superstitions of Coach Rupp, stories on his former teammates, and the best Coach Rupp story that you will ever hear. Coach Rupp said about Terry Mobley, this boy fits in our plans in an admirable way and should have a great career ahead. However, that career at the University of Kentucky started by playing for Coach Rupp. I'm Bo Robinson, and welcome into episode 40 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and his guest, Terry Mobley. Terry, at what age were you when you first heard the name Adolph Rupp? Well, considering that I didn't get newspapers and electronic messaging uh, was quite limited, I would say it would be uh, uh, sometime in the mid-50s. I remember Cliff Hagen and Frank Ramsey and Shelby Linville and in that group on radio, but uh, I do not go back further than that. At that point in time, were you listening to Claude Southern, Kaywood Ledford, Jim Host? Who was calling the games then? Well, you had six people that called them, and uh, uh, that became more pronounced uh, uh, when I decided to play at UK. You had uh, uh, Claude Sullivan, but he was on a 25,000 uh, uh, channel uh, a watt. Uh, and so depending upon where you were, you could get Claude. Uh, uh, Wood was on WHAS, which had 50,000 watts. And so if you were, were very far from Lexington, you didn't have any choice uh, but to listen to Wood. And people wonder why the uh, UK Big Blue Nation or whatever we call it now uh, was so strong in the Knoxville area and eastern Kentucky it was because they could get uh, Kaywood on the radio so uh, during that period of 
of time, it, it depended on where you were as far as who you listened to. Growing up uh, in the late 40s, early 50s, take us back to your childhood. Where were you born? Well, uh, that would be a, a, a delight because it's, it's not probably a whole lot different than you or, or many other young people. Uh, I was actually born on Johnson Pike. Uh, in Rose Hill, Kentucky, by the family physician in Harrodsburg, uh, Dr. Van Osdell, thought I was the wealthiest guy in the world because uh, we had no running water, we had no electricity, uh, we, we had no refrigeration, no light, or what have you, but we had uh, 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 an outside uh, let's just say restroom, that was a two-holer. Well, if you had a two-holer, you were in high cotton, buddy. And so uh, uh, now what we Mail order uh, catalogs meant something back then. That, they, they meant everything. <laughs> so anyway, I was born at the house and lived there. Uh, I mean, I remember seeing the, the ice man out front with his tongs bringing the uh, cube of ice in to put up on top of the uh, old refrigerator uh, to keep it cool. Uh, I remember going to the barn and helping my dad milk. There wasn't any of this automatic. I mean, you were milking with your hands to make sure we got the the uh, ten gallon milk can out for the for the. You have dad. a large family? No, I had one brother, or I have one brother uh, who's five and a half years older. But uh, I used to to uh, get that milk can full and put out for the dairy. And then I'd always, well, or we, the family, would always save, and I don't remember exactly how much, but probably a half a gallon jar to shake to create milk or butter, uh, I should say. And, and uh, shoot, I was the happiest guy in the world. I mean, I... I thought that's the way everybody grew up. So you grew up on a farm, more or less. Oh, did. And helped my dad. Uh, there weren't any tractors. We had a mowing machine, and he would go with a team of horses, put those collars on, and get on that ride mower and, and mow down the thistles. My job was to pick the thistles up and throw them in this catch basin behind the house that uh, everybody had, and then... When it was full, you set it on fire and go back and do more. But uh, anyway, we uh, I, I learned valuable traits uh, as a seven-year-old uh, when I'd pick up those tobacco leaves that my dad would help hand-tie and go to the warehouse. Uh, I figured out very quickly, you didn't want to get on that first rail going up because you had to hand everything up. You got on that second or top rail, uh, which was a whole lot of difference, I shall say. And uh, we killed hogs. We did. I mean, what was school did. like? Big school? Well, the the bones of the school are still there of Rose Hill. Now, uh, I'm sure that it's only the gym. Uh, and all of those, Salvisa and McAfee and, 
and all of those schools that be, became Mercer County, uh, of course, have all consolidated. Uh, but uh, I, I don't, I don't remember exactly the size of my class until we moved. Uh, I mean, my dad uh, went on to Camelsville, and I remember where we lived there. And Paul Coop uh, was the basketball coach at Camelsville High School. Had a good team, and of course I was just uh, going as a youngster, uh, second and third grade then. But I don't really remember the size at Rosehill. The only thing I remember uh, is my cousin, uh, oldest cousin, who is deceased now, supposed to have met me after the first day of classes at Rosehill, and she wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think my folks kind of had an understanding. Are you going to meet him and get him home? Or are you not going to meet him? <laughs> and getting home but all of that got worked out but it was a small community uh, well the, a huge church is still there called Bruner's Chapel uh, Baptist Church and there's a grocery store that's still there just as you turn uh, on Johnson Pike which is the farmhouse and were you know, accustomed to the old time saying of on a hot day you'd go get your an RC cola in the moon pie no, but you're close. We would get the RC Cola and put peanuts in it. Peanuts in it? Yeah, and it would spew and, and generate the carbonation. Nothing better than an RC Cola with peanuts in it. Now, have I had moon pies? You better betcha. <laughs> but, but they won't taste any better than, than uh, peanuts in it. Were you a one-sport athlete, or did you have more than one sport you like to play? Well... Uh, that depends on when you ask me. Uh, I was, I was, because of my size, about six three ish, uh, probably better at basketball than anything else. Probably my abilities were as a baseball player, as a pitcher and a catcher, and and uh, football. They kept trying to get me to come out, and I did uh, some, uh, but they just, the, the seasons got over. There there just wasn't enough time, and then uh, they wanted me to come out my senior year, uh, and uh, Jim Mitchell was the coach of my senior year, uh, and he wanted us to run track, and I mean, I absolutely thought the world of Jim, but he was kind of on a different career path than I was, but but uh, we had a guy. As a matter of fact, uh, before I got in the condition I'm in, uh, we had 61 in our graduating class at Harrisburg. 31 of them were men, interestingly enough, and so uh, they got me to uh, Johnny Miller, who was one of the starting guards that is an accountant uh, here in town uh, gave me a ride over there just to see my, my old buds. And, uh, excuse me. And so we we got to kind of talking about those days. And uh, 
what they meant, let's say. And, uh, well, anyway, I'll come back to it. But uh, uh, anyway, it was a small town with a very small class, and everybody had to participate in everything. When, at what point in high school, sophomore, junior, senior year, did it suddenly start dawn on you that you might want to go to college and you might want to play basketball? Well, uh, I have an answer for that. He's deceased now. But uh, that was when uh, high schools were allowed to have teams in the summer leagues, mainly down at the Y here. Uh, We had a pretty good team. We had our high school team. uh, Of course, Jeff Mullins is a dear friend, still is. I still see him. He stops by. Jeff was on our team, Winston Moore, uh, Eddie Botkin, myself, a couple of, I mean, we beat the UK freshman team every time we played them. They had, uh, well, Tommy Harper, Paul, he was white, big tall guy from Utah, and we'd beat them. Beat them did did you con- consider any other schools other than Kentucky? Well, uh, let me answer your question first. And so uh, you, you had a different group of characters the probably the best basketball player that ever came out of Lexington was Henry Henry Bell that played at old uh, Douglas. Henry would shoot the lights out of it. And I give him all the credit. Well, another guy that was down at the Y at the time, which was after my junior year, was Willie Rouse. And Willie was, I mean, he was an okay player. He played some at UK. Of course, good. You talking about the guy that went on to be a banker? Yes, yes. And uh, I'm sitting there beside him one day, and he, uh, he was at the bank then, and of course later became the president of First Security. But uh, he, he said, Terry, is anybody from UK recruiting you? And I said, Willie, I don't know kind of when that starts or stops or, or what have you. I said, there's so many of those doggone guys. And then they had uh, uh, Doug, Doug, Doug. He was at Summer, uh, Somerset Community. Doug Hines was at Somerset Community College at one time. And then Neil Reed came in kind of the year after that when he started recruiting uh, Louie and, and uh, uh, Riley. And so uh, he said, oh, I'll take, uh, Willie said, I'll take care of that. And I didn't know what that meant. I mean, so uh, it wasn't long after that I started getting a bunch of phone calls to be uh, a guest at the however many games I wanted to go to at the UK home games. And, of course, that included Bill Carl and Bob Stevens, and that were around all the time telling you what all they were going to do for you. You know, that's just – and I thought, uh-huh. I've been here to this school before. Of course, they never did, never did anything, but uh, illegal. But uh, anyway, uh, I would say that would be my. I'm not sure if it was my junior or senior year, but. Uh, uh, so, we, how did they contact you? How did they call you up or send you a letter saying. 
uh, we'd like for you to attend the University of Kentucky. We got a scholarship for you. Uh, Coach Rupp came to some of the games and actually came in the dressing room. And uh, What was it like when he came into the dressing room of high school game? Uh, well, he, he was respectful. He, he would not come in before the game. He would only come in after the game. And uh, uh, I never – Eddie Botkin could have, could have played at, at UK compared to some of the people that were there. He was a great shooter. Now, was, was he going to beat out Rafas? Uh, people don't understand how good Rafas and Cotton were uh, back then. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, he, he would always kind of ease in, and he would be with uh, Harry Miller or, or Bob Lutz, 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 uh, that owned the Sportsman Motel out there at the time. But he, he would kind of have his buddy, uh, or Mr. Ades, uh, uh, Louis Ades. Louis Ades uh, would travel with him. So uh, he was, I never, I never felt like he was there to make a show, or wasn't. And uh, uh, Mitchell, who was, I mean, he was a great, about He's deceased now, but, uh, you know, we went on to be 29 and old my senior year, didn't anybody. I mean, we beat all those Lexington schools, uh, Lafayette, Henry Clay. And the interesting part about it, Jeff and I haven't spent a lot of, you know, you get over those things uh, talking about it. But uh, S.T. Roach, Ralph Carlisle never beat S.T. Roach. I don't know if you know that or not. I did not beat him. So uh, my junior year, uh, yeah, my junior year, uh, we play, uh, uh, let's see, we, we play uh, Madison Milo. Of course, then... Harrisburg was in the 11th region. It's not like in the 12th region like right. it is now. So you had to beat some teams. So, uh, uh, no, we, yes, we played uh, uh, Franklin County in the first game of the 11th region my junior year. Uh, and we beat them. And uh, I guess I had a good uh, first half or something. Because I know Ivy, uh, Larry Ivy, when he spoke at uh, Talbot's uh, funeral, uh, tells this one, and Talbot stole it a hundred times. But uh, anyway, so we're we're playing Madison. No, we play Dunbar in the second game. And darn if we don't upset Dunbar. Now we're talking William Smothers, who's six mm-hmm. six, and Felix Wilson, and Ulysses Barry. <laughs> we had no business meeting, <laughs> but but we did. And uh, so anyway, uh, <clears throat> seems like Buddy Roberts was his coach. Whoever was the coach at Madison Mile did uh... said 
is there anybody here that can guard Mobley? And Talbot says, I'll take him. And Talbot tells the story. He said, I helped him to 27 in the second half. And so he said, that's the reason Talbot decided to go to UK on a football scholarship because I told him, Talbot, your future is not, not in, in basketball. Is not in, <laughs> in uh, basketball. When uh, did you know Don Butler, Quack Butler? Oh gosh. Well, you have to understand my roommate for five years and many visitations uh, to UK and Freedom Hall. You know, Randy Emery was my right. roommate, and so. I, I I never knew what his name was, Oscar. I just called He's him. He's doing Quack. I just called him Quack. Yeah. And uh, my first exposure to him was in 1958. Whenever we won the NCAA and never got out of the state of Kentucky, and so of course he's got the the Duke at for for our listeners. You played the first two games at the Coliseum, and the second two at. Freedom Hall, clipped the nets, and came back home. That's right. That was it. Never got out of state. And and so, uh, anyway, uh, Randy said, well, there's this guy that wants to take us to dinner at uh, uh, over at, at Stanford Field. They had an Oriental restaurant over there at the time. So I said, well, that's fine. I didn't know who Quack Butler was. So... Uh, he picked us. We drove, I guess, to the parking lot there, or I met Randy somewhere. So uh, uh, anyway, he said, well, here, let me uh, give you some money to pay for dinner. And uh, I'm sure Quack didn't call it dinner, but it was Oriental food. And then he took us on over and dropped us off in front of Freedom Hall. So uh, anyway, I mean, we were kids. We didn't have any money. And... Uh, we get ready to pay, and he said, Terry, good to meet you. See you later. Gave us a dollar, <laughs> which if you know quite, that would be very typical. Yes. And uh, had that ticket sticking out of his hat like he was. I said, Randy, you got any money on you? And uh, he said, I don't have any money. He said, I got enough gas to get on. And I said, well, my experience in these situations is you go in and just tell the truth. <laughs> and he said, what are you going to tell him? I said, I'm going to tell them we ate their food and neither one of us got any money. And, <laughs> and the guy said, I appreciate your honesty instead of trying to slip out the front door. That was my first experience to Clark Butler. <laughs> uh, when you come to the UK that freshman year, what was the adjustment of coming from high school in rural Kentucky onto a campus? Although it's small by today's standards, it obviously was big by the standards at that time. Yeah, well, uh, I, I got started on him and never finished. Jim Mitchell was a tough guy to play for. And he told me, he said, if you go any place, he was so loyal to Coach McBrayer at Eastern at the time. Don't know if he played any over there or not, but... Uh, he said, if you go any place other than Eastern, I basically won't have anything to do with you in the future. And I understood and re respected that loyalty. I said, well, it's been good to know you. <laughs> and and that's, uh, and, and the, the rest of that story is, 
he was so hard, Jim, uh, on you physically that playing for Coach Rupp was not a problem for me. It was not a problem. What was a freshman year like? Did 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 Coach Rupp coach you a lot as a freshman, or was no. that Harry? Oh, oh, Harry, and I loved him. He was mean as a snake, but he he reminded me a lot of Coach Mitchell. You you the the, the louder he could make it, the more I understood it, and uh, and and the tougher he could make it physically. There wasn't anything as not being in shape. So uh, uh, I had. Great respect uh, for Jim Mitchell, even though it was not as we would have drawn it up, needless to say. But uh, uh, well, I would I would tell you, uh, I didn't finish my brief story uh, when I don't remember if it was Bob Stevens or or Bill Carl that I was talking about when I was over there on one of my visits. He said, Terry, would you like to go back? in the uh, outside in the hallway uh, of the dressing UK's dressing room uh, and hear Coach Rupp give them their pregame talk. And I said, well, sure, I'd, I'd love that. And uh, so we did. Uh, stood out in the hallway there. Uh, I called it Kitely's. You know, Kitely and I showed up there at, at the same time. I think he thought we were related with him being from Lawrenceburg and the Aggie Sale connection. So uh, I said, sure. So Coach Rupp, he said, there is only, we were, we were playing West Virginia that night in the UKIT, and you always got an extra day off. You know, it's who. So uh, anyway, Coach Rupp is being his usual Coach Rupp, and he said, there is only one way that we're going to win this game tonight. He said, Feldhouse. I want you, meaning Allen, he wants you to guard West. And he says, the first time you get a chance, when he goes up for an open shot, he said, I want you to put his nose all over his face. I thought, what am I about to get into here? Didn't sound real pleasant like (laughs) to me. Well, it was about five minutes into the game, and West already had ten points. And uh, he goes up for a shot and. Allen catches him in the right position, and he does his chores. And so they take him out. Well, have to. He's got blood going every which way. And uh, they don't even throw a horse out of the game. And so uh, halftime comes back, and uh, they've got the guard. And I don't remember exactly, Oscar. He, he had either... 27 or 37 in the second half, what West did. Uh, and that would be in December of... Uh, 03, I think. Oh, I mean, uh, no, no, it would 60. Be, it would be late 60s because Allen was four years ahead of me. Would have been late 50s then. Yeah. Uh, but, but anyway... It was 59. 59, that'd be yes. about right. Yeah, so uh, I think that was Billy Ray's sophomore year. Billy Ray would have graduated in '61. Yeah, so that's right. Uh, and it, you know, it. I've I'd had chores like that before. You know, as a catcher in baseball, you don't let some people score. 
So I had, that's the reason I don't have any front teeth and everything else. But but uh, I thought, ooh, this is a pretty tough league. And uh, not that we didn't have other good players that I played against and and all of that. But but uh, uh, anyway, it was an eye opener of what you're about to get into. So you're. Freshman year, you play on the freshman year. How many games did y'all play? Who did you oh, play? Oh, 10 or 12. Uh, and I don't remember. Were you still playing AAU teams sometimes? The only AAU team that I remember playing that were that was designated as an AAU team would have been when Scotty Basler put together that marathon uh, mm-hmm. team. Uh, we would uh, Scotty came over the other night, uh, put together that that uh, AU team, but, but you you had Lindsey Wilson College, you had so you you had all of those junior colleges, and they could generate a crowd in their local community that would give them enough income just to survive on. And uh, I want to say Doug Hines was at Lindsey Wilson, where Pendergraft came from, uh, but there were other uh, West Kentucky had tons of little colleges, and we would play them. And it was kind of fun, really. So your sophomore and junior years, you are playing on a team that's dominated nationally in, in fame with the name of Cotton Nash, yeah. who probably was the single most recognized UK player after Hagen and Ramsey and that crew. Right. Up to that time, become the all-time leading scorer while he was there. Right. Oh, what was it like playing with Cotton? With Cotton? Well, uh, I, I have a lot of thoughts of Cotton, who's a dear friend, sat right where you are. He's been here probably every week since I've been through all of this. Uh, Cotton was a six, four, and three quarter. He, he could almost play guard. But because of our lack of size, Coach Rubb almost had to use him uh, as a center. And Cotton was much better facing the basket than he was backing up to it. Now, if you got out on a fast break with Cotton, you probably weren't going to get the ball back. It was going to be headed, uh, headed toward the basket. And which was fine, doesn't mean he didn't pass, but he had the ability to get open and uh, and was quick, fast, but he was an in-between size for the pros. The, the, the pros were not going to work for Cotton. It just, they weren't. And, uh, you know, what you, what you forget is, is the lack of size, but... But Cotton, well, we all shot about 42%, about 42% from the field. Well, by today's standards, that's, that's not bad. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of rough and Cotton stories, and I'll tell you one or two, because they're funny as all get out. But, but uh, how was it to play with Cotton? Let's go to December 1962 or three Sugar Bowl tournament. Yeah. 
63. Yeah. New Orleans. Right. Timeout. Right. Play was drawn up by Coach Rupp. You take it from there. <laughs> I learned early on, I said, there was one way to play for Coach Rupp. Don't make turnovers and guard your man. If you didn't throw it away and you played defense, he's going to play you. And did. Now, he always said I was his best defensive player. That may have been an excuse to put me on the floor. I don't know. But anyway, so uh, the it, I don't know how much of this you want. I want to tell you, and you use whatever of it you want to use because it's an interesting story. We are staying at the Jung Hotel on Canal Street, which is, I mean, I'm sure it's still there uh, next to the dome. But, of course, the games are going to be played at Loyola Fieldhouse which seated about seven or 8,000 people. And uh, anyway, we got Duke, number one team in the country. And I don't remember if we were number two or not, but we were up high. And so uh, anyway, there comes a darndest snowstorm in New Orleans. You can, they have, have like 75 accidents because people don't know how to drive in the snow. And, uh, oh, it was horrible. The the people couldn't get to the crowd. The lights were off in New Orleans. I, I have never seen weather conditions as bad as they were. And so, uh, anyway, uh, well, it was a mess. Referees couldn't get there. I mean, it, it just, it didn't look like anything was going to happen. So, anyway... We're sitting there on the bus, and and your good friend, Hub Mitri, of course, was the manager then. And Hub's been dear to me for 60 years. So anyway, uh, Coach Hub says over to Hub, says, Habib, where's Cotton? And Hub says, I don't have the faintest idea in the world. He said, well, go find him. And so anyway, Hub goes in to the lobby of the hotel there and comes back to the bus and says, Coach, he's not playing today. And, of course, Coach Rupp goes crazy and says, What do you mean he's not playing? He said, He told me he wasn't playing today. He says, Well, go find out why he's not playing. So Hub gets off the bus, probably scared to death, being the good Lebanese that he is. And, and so, so he comes back and says, Coach, I hate to tell you, Hub, I mean, uh, Cotton is not playing today. He says, yes, he is going to play. And he said, well, then you know more than I do because he told me for the second time he isn't playing today. So he said, well, go back in there and find out why he's decided not to play today. So Hub goes back in, and he comes back, and he says, Coach, he said he wasn't playing because he has 10 members of his family from Lake Charles, Louisiana, here, that you promised tickets to. And Hub, Hub says, Coach, he said he wasn't playing until he had his 10 tickets for today's game in his pocket. So, Coach Rub, you can imagine being denied uh, control. So he said, 
Well, let me see if I can find some. Well, you knew that was a lie. And I was sitting across the aisle on the bus. So uh, he said, go back in there and tell him I need to make a call to find his 10 tickets. I didn't need to make any call. He had a stack already sitting there in his briefcase. Oh, yeah, about that thick. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, uh, the, the story gets funnier. And so uh, he said, well, just tell him to come out here. Well, that man, he wanted to delay Cotton's coming out because they actually were in his coat pocket. So Hub goes in there to get Cotton. Here comes Cotton and his family and uh, mom and dad and everybody. And uh, Coach Rupp's already pulled them out, you know. And, and he had them there. And, of course, he gives Cotton a licking like you've never heard. Well, they never got along too well. So uh, Cotton takes his 10 tickets, gets on the bus with his family, and we proceed on in uh, to the game. Well, the lights were out. I'm trying to think. The referees hadn't gotten there yet. I mean, it was the biggest mess you'd ever seen. We finally get down to uh, Duke's already there and, uh, uh, and friends. So uh, we go to the game, and I'm trying to think just exactly the scenario. But anyway, the funny part. So uh, we play the game, and I'm going to sound egotistical and you all know me better than that. But actually, I, I hit the shot out of the corner to tie the game at at uh, 79-79. I then realized, as did all of the Duke players, that the ball was going to go to Cotton because we, we wound up having – back then the rules were a little different. If you had a timeout left, uh, you had to call it. Otherwise, the clock kept going. So to stop the clock, you had to call timeout. You had to call timeout. That's right. And Jeff took it out of bounds, but the clock, but they were out of timeouts. So he he had to stop the clock with five seconds or whatever, four or what have you, because they didn't have any timeouts left. So I hit the shot from the corner, and uh, I don't remember if Conley had fouled out trying to guard Jeff, which he couldn't, uh, well, couldn't many people. But anyway, so we've got the ball back with, with five seconds to go. Well, the whole Duke team ran right straight to Cotton. I mean, you didn't Was have there to- a timeout involved there? Yeah. And, and did Rupp draw up a play? No, that's all I'm going to tell you. So you, I have to interrupt you to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> he did not draw up any play. So uh, I'm, I'm being rude to you, and you know better than that. No. But, but uh, uh, we got five seconds to go. Randy takes the ball out. Randy had a good second half. I don't remember how many he had, but. 15 or so. But after I hit the shot from the corner to tie it, then Randy calls timeout, which gave us five seconds. And Duke uh, 
were all over cotton. Well, I didn't have any choice but to shoot it, which was kind of to the, it banked in, but it kind of was to the side of, of the, the free throw line. Well, Oscar, with that, here comes Coach Rupp. Game's over. Game's over. Here comes Coach Rupp out on the playing floor, which he never did. And he'd point at me. Now, keep in mind, you know, you might be on TV back then, on NBC, ABC, or CBS, but there wasn't any of this ESPN. I mean, the media coverage was limited. But here comes Coach Rupp uh, out on the floor. And I thought, well, this is, you had a happy Chandler sitting on the bench. You had, well, everybody in the world. Seems like to me sitting on the bench. So Coach Rupp points at me. And and so I walk over to him. He shakes hands. And he said, now, Terry, here's what's going to happen to you. He said, the media is going to chase you down right now. And he said, here's what your answer is to be to him. And I said, yes, sir. And he said, Rupp outsmarts Vic Bubis, who was the coach at Duke then. Yes. Asked Mobley to take shot. <laughs> well, the next morning in the New Orleans Times or Times Picayune, yeah, Times Picayune, whatever their newspaper is, the headlines were about two inch. I still have a copy of it at home, about two or two and a half inches thick. That said, Rupp outsmarts Vubas. Asked Mobley to take shot. Well, there wasn't any asking Mobley. <laughs> I, I, I had no choice but to take it. Now, I mean, all of that. Turned out to be true, but there wasn't any. He just hadn't directed it that yeah, way. He hadn't directed it that way. He was quick now. And 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 so, anyway, that's what came out the next morning to the newspaper. Well, and, that was the end of the uh, the Nash era that year. Oh, yeah. Uh, you went into the tournament. You finished the year well, uh, ranked number three by the UPI, number four by the AP. All right. Now, let me. And. Yeah. Let me help you with that just a tad because I've told your buddy, Joe Hall, one of the interesting facts and told him to use it on the Joe and Denny show because I said nobody will get it, and he did. We were, uh, when we flew back, Georgia Tech beat us and Vanderbilt beat us. Okay. We were last in our conference but we, until the polls came out, we were first in the country. If you follow my yes, my thinking there, and uh, uh, of course uh, Georgia Tech and Tulane dropped out. But I guess you were zero two in the conference after those two losses. That's right. That's right. But you were still number one in the country. Well, so you didn't have your UPI. And right. That didn't come out electronically. So until the next week. Until the next week, yes. you, you're on it. You're exactly right. And so the interesting part about that is is that those were the only two uh, games that we lost in the conference. So we're 12 and two or something like that. Well, you, you yeah. And uh, so we beat everybody in the conference and then we go to Tennessee and they have the same record that we do. They're 12 and two or whatever, because we just lost those two games. And and so we go to Knoxville. 
and we both have the same record. And, you know, there wasn't any of this 25-game, 65-game NCAA. It's like whoever won certain conferences automatically went to the regionals. You only got one team in the in the tournament back the, then from back, the conference. That's exactly right. And so we go to play in seems like the name of it was a Thompson Bowling Arena or It's Stokely Athletic Center. Stokely Athletic Center because you guys set up uh up a little high a little high. And what does Mears it was the worst coaching mistake I have seen in my athletic uh, days. He decides to go into a stall and slows it down. Mears does. And the score at halftime was eight to six. Well, well the, you, you all scored pretty good that second half then. Well, because you won 42 to 38. That's exactly right. And so, of course, there was no 35 second right. clock back no in. No clock. And coach, no three point line. And no three point line. And Coach Rupp said, just back off. Let I'll take a two point. A deficit at halftime, and we did. The crowd booed him out of oranges, came flying on the floor, booed him out of the place. And Cotton had, Cotton and Deacon, I don't think it scored a point. Cron had two or four, and I had two or four. So uh, anyway, we just back up and let them. And they had, I, they had so much better that you had A.W. Davis, you had Ron Whitby that. Punted for Punted Dallas for football. Dallas forever. You had Red Robbins, uh, Big Center. You had Howard Bain. You had uh, Danny Schultz. You had uh, uh, Pat Robinette. Uh, there's one other real good player that, I, that I'm not uh, thinking of. Uh, but anyway, personnel-wise, they were so much better than we were. Well, Cotton hit one or two, and uh, – Cron wound up. Cron, Tommy wound up with about 17, 15, 17 points. I had nine or ten, something like that. And they actually booed them coming off the floor. They, you win that game, that gives you the automatic bid. We get the automatic bid. But you come home and you do something you normally don't do. You normally finish the season in the conference play, but for this particular year, you hosted St. Louis. Well, that was out there. It was just a regularly seasoned game. It had, had they had the Nordman, big Nordmans, and all of them. I don't think we ever beat St. Louis. For some reason, Coach Rupp wanted to play, wanted to play him, but it had nothing to do with the uh, NCAA seed. Right. Yeah, uh, but we played in Kill Auditorium, and uh, well, now this particular year you played them at home. Well, may have. Yeah, but we. We played them either place. Never yeah. did, never did beat them, and because uh, uh, I remember, was, it, was that a distraction going into the tournament, having well, won the league, and you're you're yeah. obviously you're the you won the SEC bid to the tournament, but you're playing this non-conference game, trying to get ready for the tournament at the same time. Yeah, well, I tell you, why it was a little uh, distracting is that. Uh, uh, Cliff Hagen was there at the game and and came into the locker room where we all were, and that was just a name to me, you know. And, uh, but because of the St. Louis tie, uh, he was there. So I don't know that it was a 
I would say we're tired and see you, you forget that uh, the first time that the 131 was used was against Tennessee at Memorial Coliseum in uh, be January of uh, my senior year uh, of, against Mayors, uh, which would be yeah my senior year, and and so uh, I remember somebody asking Coach Rupp, now what was the name of this deep Fence this transitional <laughs> hyperolic paraboloid. He said, I don't know what it is, but it worked, and <laughs> which was true. Yeah. And Mears was about to go crazy because there was no way you would prepare for that. So uh, uh, we used it the rest of the, of the, of the year. Uh, and that's when... Uh, At the end of your junior year there, a lot of people thought this was going to be a title year. You went in the tournament ranked, you know, like I said, three and four. Right. Uh, the last two games of uh, Cotton Nash's career were losses. That's when you had a consolation game in that. But it was two of your finer games. You yep. had 17 against Ohio U and you had 21 against Loyola. I know. Yeah, I remember that well. How embarrassing to lose to Ohio University. And I'm walking off the floor at halftime of the Ohio University game. And uh, I can see him now. It seems like his last name was Roberts, African-American. A kid, good player. And Coach Rob was walking beside of him. And he said, Mobley, do you have the flu? And I said, no, sir. Why? He said, well, that son of a gun has driven past you so many times tonight. I thought maybe the breeze made you sick. And I said, no, I <laughs> I feel just fine. And uh, I don't remember uh, how much they beat us by, but uh, the uh, there wasn't anybody else. Play, uh, Cotton was, he was through. I mean, uh, he had a bad second, first and second half. And Loyola, Chicago now, that pretty I mean, you had – Rouse the Dunner and George uh, Ireland was he the coach in? Oscar, I don't remember. He a little short guy, dark yeah. hair. I think he was. Yeah, I don't. They uh, had a pretty good club back then. Well, he, uh, just Hunter and Rouse, they were two All Americans. Yeah, but uh, they probably had prepared for Cotton uh, when I got to twenty one. But uh, that was uh, that was there at the. Minnesota Fieldhouse, and they had those seats, you know, that sat down below the uh, floor. I'm not blaming it on that, but uh, it's about like playing Georgia Tech in Atlanta when Coach Rupp couldn't get up to the dressing room. Let me, let me ask you a few little things sort of about the period of time that you played in the 60s. Okay. Uh, your, your travel. Bus, train, airplane. You didn't make that many trips to the West Coast, west of the Mississippi. No. Uh, now, the the four years before that, Billy Ray's, Roger Newman, uh, Ned Jennings, that crowd, they would usually play UCLA. They would go to the West Coast. Uh, you know, we never thought much 
about it because it was the way it was. And travel was horrendous. We would fly on that DC-3. You know, I don't know if you remember a DC-3. Yes. Sort of. You had to, you had to walk up the <laughs> steps to, you had, to the, You didn't want to be a freshman. That, uh, you didn't want to be a freshman because you had to carry all the other team players' luggage up that climb. But uh, anyway, I, I can't really, you know, now, you think about Vanderbilt. Well, when we played there, it was the first time the building had been built. You had those goals coming out, just hanging out in midair. And then at some point in time, they expanded it to about 12,000. You still had the same thing. And then finally expanded it again to 16,000 or so, uh, which I think is what it is now. Just a hard place to play. But I can't say that it was uh, unkindly uh, at all. What was the... uh best superstition that you saw around the program from either the players or coach rep or whatever? Well, we laugh more about it. Uh, you know, the the brown suit and of course the coach rep wore that brown suit and I don't know how many nights he had it on or slept in it but but that's all you ever saw him in. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, it was no big deal for the to get hub to drop drop uh, bobby pins or pennies uh and i don't want to the the only place that got a little tricky was mississippi state uh and coach rope would not let us get dressed at the arena we got we stayed at a holiday inn uh, up the road there we stayed at the city up the road there uh, at the Holiday Inn because uh, as it turned out he was right uh, because uh, they threw snowballs at us from where we got off the bus and that's where they had a drunk or scum uh, put Lard in Coach Rupp's seat uh, at the game uh, I mean it was a rough crowd probably lucky something didn't happen but uh uh, anyway, that wasn't real kind. And then at the uh, Quonset Hut uh, at Auburn, uh, there was a leak in the ceiling. And I mean, when I say leak, I'm not talking about a little. I mean, it was hitting and spreading. And uh, Lou Bellow, who was one of my favorite referees, uh, was the referee. And I don't know, I guess for some reason I was captain that day and we met. He said, fellas, I don't know what to tell you other than we just got to play around the leak. <laughs> so uh, he took a towel and uh, went out there and put it where the leak was. We went ahead and played the game. And uh, I would assume we won because that would have been my junior year, I guess, uh, when Cotton would have been a senior. Uh, that in Florida had a, I mean, their place seated six or seven thousand people, but they were mean. I mean, they threw pennies unless you had a penny hit you in the head coming from out of a crowd. It's, it's a pretty heavy item, so uh, that would have been my 
junior year, uh, Cotton senior year. Let me uh, just ask you to, I'm going to give you the names of some of your former teammates. Yeah, sure. And just give me three or four words about how you remember them, whatever. And we'll just start out here. Um, Charlie Ishmael. Great guy. Uh, I'm sure you saw where he just passed away uh, with cancer. But uh, last week. Ted Deacon. Most underrated player to ever play there. Scotty Basler. Good guy. Uh, good defensive player. Not the greatest shooter in the world. Roy Roberts. Uh, well, Roy would. Uh, Roy was the wrong size. He was 6'4", and uh, a good defensive player. Not the best shooter in the world, but a great guy. Cotton Nash. One of the best. Don Ross. More potential than anybody I have ever seen come to UK. And of course he he uh, was from Cincinnati and transferred to UC, but uh, and, and he's deceased now, wasted life and wasted potential. He could have played at any level. Randy Emery. Well, Randy was he was the ultimate teammate. He's in here every week checking on his old roommate. Uh, uh, what do I want to? He, he, there, there were three guys, Oscar, that, in my opinion, had what I would refer to when I was there as good basketball instincts. You can't teach it. You can't coach it. it either they have it or they don't. And the three, where Randy was one of them, as evidenced by his job with the Miami Heat, and of course Pat recognized that. Uh, Tommy Harper had, Tommy was a left-hander from Clark County. He knew more basketball than Coach Rupp and Coach Lancaster. And the other was Pat Doyle. And those three, I mean, they they just, they would tell you we, we ought to be running this or we ought to be, running that, they just, they had the ability to recognize that. Sam Harper. Well, Sam died much too young. Uh, Sam couldn't decide if he, if he wanted to be a pharmacist uh, uh, or a basketball player. And of course he just, he quit after his sophomore year and went to pharmacy school. So uh, had a lot of potential. But see, when you asked me about the I think of how, how tough some of these guys were. And uh, if you weren't tough or ready, it, it's like old LeMaster and Tommy Harper told uh, some of their freshmen, they said, you better get out of Mobley's way or, <laughs> he, or he'll leave a footprint on your chest, uh, which I guess I did. So uh, uh, anyway, uh, Tommy Porter still shows it to me whenever I see him. Uh, so anyway, you know, I, I, I'm not sure my judgment on some of these people uh, would be the same as other people's, but but uh, a lot of good guys. George Kreutz. Right. Nice fellow. Still calls in here to check on me, but 
he he was Cotton's roommate all four years, and George would have been better off at Transylvania, not not to belittle Transylvania. He was a real good shooter, but he was six three. Ron Kennett. Kennett. Well, uh, there was a guy that uh, played at Lawrenceburg, Indiana, with with Ronnie Kennett, and his name. Uh, was Jim Caldwell. He went to Georgia Tech, and Coltrub goes up to see either John Adams or or uh, Jim Caldwell. And Kennett happens to be playing in the game. And uh, so anyway, Caldwell gets a nice fellow. and played in the NBA for three or four years. Caldwell gets like 30 points. Uh... John Adams gets 20-something, and they said had a bad team, and Kennett gets 30-something. And they're on their way back from Lawrenceburg, Indiana, and Coach Rupp is saying, well, what do you all think of the players we came to see? Had Harry Mellon, Lutz, and all that bunch with him. And uh, they start comparing John and and, uh, Jim Cottle. He said, well, you missed everything. He said the best player on the floor was Ron Kennett. Well, Harry was with him, and he needed an outfielder in baseball. Now, Kennett was fast as I'll get out, but he wanted Kennett for baseball. <laughs> he wound up giving Kennett a scholarship. Denny ran the ball. Well, Denny was uh, uh, he was the leading scorer in the tri-state area of Illinois, Wisconsin, and Oscar, maybe in Michigan, I'm not sure. Wore real thick glasses. Nice fella, smart fella. Became vice president of uh, Sears Roebuck, I believe. But uh, we stayed in touch for a number of years, I think. Well, he's probably retired now. Uh, they've moved him from Chicago to Dallas, but uh, uh, should not have played here. Now, before he, before you jump to the next one, somebody threw him the ball one day, and it it got right up on top of his head, did he? Right about, and he makes a quick spin, and and Happy was there that day, uh, Chandler, and uh, Coach Rob said, "Stop it! Stop it! Stop it!" Which of course he didn't use a whistle, and uh, had Hubbard somebody pick up the ball. And he kicked it. He said, I don't care if you're the the governor of the world. You're not going to laugh at one of my players. And have you got up and left? <laughs> but anyway. George Atkins. Well, George never had a chance. Uh, because George had been over here. Uh, hadn't had a, didn't get a chance because he had back surgery his second year. So he never really played. Larry Conley. Well, Larry, of course, had a feel for the game, grew up uh, with it. Larry was a, a good team player. Uh, not a great shooter, but he realized an opportunity when he saw it basketball-wise. And uh, Larry just wasn't a very physically strong person. Uh, but if you got yourself open, he'd get it to you. Mickey Gibson. Oh, shoot. 
Mickey could play anywhere. Of course, he could rob m machines too. But uh, uh, jumping this guy, good shooter, of course, left-handed, and uh, just didn't always use the best judgment, but a great athlete. Tommy Cron. Well, Tommy was the ultimate giver. That one-three-one zone we used would have never worked if it hadn't been for, for Tommy's energy and size. But uh, uh, was was not a very good shooter, but uh, gave you everything he had. Larry Lenz. Well, uh, Larry, nice guy, still here in town, as a pharmacist, but. Uh, Larry, he, he was a little too slow at this level. Frank Tully. Don't even know who he is. Louis Dampier. Well, that won't get any better than Louis. He, he would have, well, others, he and Kevin Grevy and Percival and some of those guys would have worn out the three-point line. Louis averaged 50 points a game. Gene Stewart. Greatest guy in the world. Wrong size. Still is. Judge. They know how. Brad Bounds. Well, Brad was Brad was a good shooter, but he was six five and and uh, uh, not blessed with ability, but great attitude. Pat Riley. Uh. Well, Pat was uh, an athlete. You know, people forget Pat was a good football player, uh, as were his eight brothers. But uh, uh, Pat and I wore the, believe it or not, the same size clothes when he showed up here. And so I'd trade him around. He didn't have anything but a pair of blue jeans and an alpaca sweater when he showed up. So we got him halfway dressed up, and uh, if you if you saw Pat today, he wouldn't be any different than when he showed up here. Few people that was with the program, part of it, uh, trainer Joe Brown. Well, you know when you say trainer, uh, I guess he must have been pretty good. He went on from here to the Pittsburgh Steelers. But uh, a nice fella. Uh, I remember Joe had us doing all of these. They called them isometrics. <laughs> it was where you push against the mm -hmm. weight or something. So he got us all bucked up there, and he'd tape those ankles and, and uh, all of that stuff. Uh, but Joe wouldn't. He'd probably be better around the, the pros because with our bunch or the, the age of our bunch, uh, you know, they're all putting pillows underneath sheets so it looked like they were in for the night. Uh, but uh, Joe was fine. Hub Mitri. Oh, Hub was. Uh, Hub was the humsy essence of his time. That's the only way I know how to uh, to say it. He was so good to, to me, but. You, you'd have to. You, some kids got it, Oscar, and some didn't. What you had to figure out was, if you wanted to play, 
you had to be nice to the manager because he refereed the scrimmages. <laughs> and probably still does. And, uh, and, and I'm not sure if it would have been Hub or uh, Kirk was his last, Kirk uh, Byers uh, that was on the first manager's scholarship at UK. But those guys worked. Dr. Ralph Angelusi. Well, he was chairman board of trustees at the time, and you didn't see him uh, at too many practices or or anything like you would uh, uh, Dr. Royalty. But uh, Dr. Angelusi was a he was a special kind of guy. Guy that always kept time. George, J.D. Reeves. You, you had those four guys down there. You had uh, J.D. You had uh, uh, Robinson. Uh, you, you had, uh, uh, he owned a lumber company. Um, I'll come up with it here in a second. Uh, uh, well, anyway, there were four of them uh, that, that uh, well, they, they kind of didn't change much. You had J.D., but then you also had uh, uh, Hoot Combs. Yes. And, uh, oh, he was a character. I visited with him in Hilton Head. Well, it would be 10 or 12 years ago. And, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I did visit with him in Hilton Head. But there was this guy that came in the door and uh, nicely attired, dressed, what have you. And he came over and he said, Terry, I see, you know, you're laying in here. I just want to introduce myself but anyway it was his uh son and uh, i guess he still lives here and we talked about his dad neil reed uh well obviously he recognized talent (laughs) (laughs) uh i would like to say that uh because he recruited uh two of the best now he may have had some bad choices uh, in there as well. I don't know, but uh, his, I don't know what the percentage would be, it'd be high, probably in the 80s, uh, of all of the recruits being from Kentucky. And when Neil came here and recruited Louie and Pat, he broadened the scope of UK recruiting. Harry Lancaster. Oh, I loved him. Mean as we used to uh, uh, say, the only time you ever see Coach Lancaster smile was right after he killed a, ba- a baby, and he was just that that mean. And uh, we don't mean that literally, but God, he was uh, he was tough. But once you walked off that floor, he'd do anything in the world for you. I mean, I thought the world of him. Coach Rupp. Well, I think I've told you he played me when there may have been better players there. I don't know that there were. Uh, but if it, I swear, if you looked at him and let him know that he wasn't going to get to you and stare him down, you didn't have any trouble with him. 
and and uh, I'll give you a kind of a reverse analogy, uh, Doctor Singletary that I thought the world. Uh, well, I've enjoyed all the four or five presidents I worked for. Uh, he was a manager by intimidation, Doctor Singletary. And he was raising all matter of cane with me one day. And uh, I thought, well, where's this coming from? So after the other staff people had left, I said, Brethren, can I see you just a second? He said, well, sure. And I said, now, you've just yelled and screamed at me for no apparent reason. And I said, I just want to tell you something, and you do with it whatever you want to do with it. I said, I am called many, many times every day, and it doesn't faze me. So if you want to still manage me that way, that's fine, but that's just like water rolling off my back. And he said, I apologize. Never raised his voice again. Well, now, did Coach Ruff have something to do with that? I think he did. And see, there's, there's so many different things, uh, stories I can tell you. Uh, on Coach Rudd, uh, I had been asked, well, I'd played all over the world between my junior and senior year on this all-star team. Clyde Lee, if you might remember or may not, was my roommate. And so anyway, I am asked to represent the students of Kentucky at a Billy Graham crusade at Freedom Hall in Louisville. And uh, I accepted. 33,000 people at Freedom Hall. So thank goodness I'm having a good day at practice and because uh, I wasn't going to ask off because I was afraid Coach Rupp wouldn't understand me taking off of practice to go speak at a Billy Graham crusade, and which I didn't. So about halfway through the practice, I'd scored a few points. Hadn't turned it over or anything. So Coach Rupp's Hold it, hold it, hold it, how he used to. And uh, he said, come over here, Terry. And he said, uh, aren't you supposed to speak in uh, Louisville tonight? And I said, well, yes, sir, I am. But I said, I wasn't about to ask off from practice. I'm here on scholarship. He said, I know that. But he says, go shower up. And he says, I've got two state troopers. waiting outside for you to take you to Freedom Hall. Well, you never know what that meant. And I walked, go shower up, and, uh, oh, what was his name? Uh, I can see him right now. Uh, he was always around, went on some trips with us. Uh, McGee, uh, his daughter was, was married to Bill McGee, uh, uh, Captain Sellers. Older fellow, gray-haired, was always present around Coach Rupp. And uh, uh, he and another guy uh, took me to Freedom Hall, and I spoke with Billy Graham, got in the trooper's car, came back. Now. Unless you totally understood the sitting 
or what people thought about Coach Rupp, you would never understand. Excuse me. You would never understand the meaning of that. 